Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely, and with me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Tuesday, December 6th, and today we're going to talk about some interesting things happening at Under Armour, and then we'll talk about some potential cost-cutting over at the Pentagon. Uh, so, Chris, let's start with Under Armour. Uh, it hasn't been exactly a great year for their investors. Shares are down about 30% year-to-date, and that's under well underperforming the S&P 500, which is up about 7.5%. And it's also underperforming their arch-rival Nike, which is down about 20%. And Under Armour today is one of the most heavily shorted stocks in the market. Uh, I think the reason we're kind of talking about them today is there's been a lot of interesting news flow associated with them this week. Just yesterday, they announced a 10-year deal to supply uniforms for uh, for Major League Baseball starting in 2020. And then uh, tomorrow, they're actually going to change the tickers on a bunch of their share classes. So they've got three shares of stock, Class B, which only the CEO owns, which has the majority voting. Class A, which is currently trading as UA, will change tickers to UAA. And Class C, which currently trades as UA.C, will change tickers to UA. And the reason all of this is so interesting is because UA is trading for $31 per share, roughly, and UA.C is trading for just under $26 per share. So there's a really big discrepancy for two share classes that are actually basically economically equivalent. So I wanted to turn it over to you and let's talk about, you know, talk about the share class discrepancy. We can talk about the deal for MLB. We can talk all sorts of things under armor. I think the share class discrepancy is very interesting. It places, if you take it seriously, if you say this is an efficient market, uh, it would imply a massive uh, significance to this vote, where in reality for... Uh, like in political elections, for an average retail kind of outside passive minority investor, you can round the value of the vote to zero. I mean, the likelihood that it's incrementally significant is de minimis. Well, the likelihood it's increment incrementally significant is it, it, it is zero because uh, Kevin Kevin Plank, I believe, is the Under Armour CEO and founder. He owns all of the Class B shares, and those have more than fifty percent of the vote. So. It, right there, you know that the vote means absolutely nothing. Or, or it's hypothetical. In yeah. a future scenario in which he diluted himself down, mm-hmm. you could own the incremental vote someday. But the likelihood that you make the difference uh, is uh, is next to nothing. Yeah. It's and, next to nothing someday, and it's precisely nothing today. And, and then we've seen we've seen other companies, you know, like uh, Google has multiple share classes, and the discrepancy between their share class with and without the vote, you know, they trade for within 2 or 3% of each other. Viacom has multiple share classes and they trade within five or six percent so this is a a massive massive difference Mm -hmm. on the two share classes here and it does two things one it presents an opportunity for somebody to own the cheap one and to be short the expensive one uh i have fairly recently done that myself so i think that that can be attractive to try to capture that difference especially if over time uh it goes away but secondly, it's a data point, and I, frequently where I find these, I struggle with a share class arbitrage because on one hand, I like, uh, if I have a thesis that something is 
is is is overvalued. I like being shorted if I can capture that difference. I like doing so and making money off it. But it usually has a historical significance that's often troubling to me. You know, these these happen when somebody's trying to entrench themselves. It's not an arbitrary history. It's a history with imports and often one that is uh, not uh, a positive for shareholders. And then secondly, in the case here, it's an ultra expensive company. I think it's not something I'd otherwise have any attraction to. Yeah, and in this case, it's interesting. Interesting because we are not the only ones who have noticed this discrepancy. Like the the place we kind of pulled this from was Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. They, they had a, a I don't think it was in the paper itself, but there was an article in the Wall Street Journal, definitely the online section, that mm-hmm. said, "Hey, Under Armour is offering a double digit re- double digit plus return if uh, these two share collapse, the difference in prices just collapse." And uh, you know, I think a big part of the reason is. It, just the borrow on the two different share classes is impossible to find. I, I, I checked earlier today. It's like 20% annualized mm-hmm. to borrow the more expensive stock, which you think they trade at a 20% discount. If you think it takes about a year for the price to collapse, then there, there's all the discrepancy right there. Mm-hmm. And borrows can get more expensive. But uh, yeah, and I think that it's it's an interesting case. I think it's a fascinating case from an economics perspective. The uh, it, it almost disproves the uh, hard uh, version of an efficient market theory that markets are always right. Yep. I think that's a very very hard case uh, for somebody who believes that. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see if there's any change uh, tomorrow uh, as they kind of rebrand this. Uh, the whole thing is gimmicky. The solution is gimmicky, but uh, maybe. Uh, Maybe it uh, makes us some money. We'll see. Yeah, and, and then what about the? They just announced the MLB deal. I know you're you're not a, a big sports fan. Do you have any thoughts on the MLB deal? Or you know, uh, it's good. I guess uh, a lot of the problems that Nike and Under Armour have. You know, if you look at kind of traditional uh, sports. Uh, people get less and less uh, superstar motivated and at least kind of a brand uh, connecting with a superstar as people move away from traditional sports into alternative sports. You know, it's not as strong a connection when you're dealing with uh, kind of new alternative outdoor sports and other things people are interested in. Yeah, you know, and I think the interesting thing here is if you think about what the sports most likely to decline over time are, I think the most likely would be football just because mm-hmm. of all the injury issues. But, you know, baseball is is bleeding fans uh, right now. And if you think about baseball in 2024, 2025, right in the middle of this deal, you know, a baseball game is two and a half or three hours. And I personally don't like baseball, but, you know, it was popular when there wasn't TV, internet, all this sort of stuff. And it's really losing popularity. So you wonder kind of, did they sign a deal at precisely the wrong time? Uh, and there's been a big, big bidding war for all of these licenses recently. Reebok just uh, won hockey's. Nike's taking the NFL's over next year. The NBA's over next year. And the prices of these have gone up a lot. So you're paying a lot for things that are getting watched by fewer people. It, it, it seems like the recipe for a deal that three or four years from now you regret. And it's a 10-year deal. And uh, kind of right at Buffett's standard of investing in something that you have a very good sense of what it looks like 10 years from now. It's not clear that we know what baseball looks like 10 years from now. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. Uh, Yeah, I I think that's all I've kind of got there. You want to turn over to the Pentagon? The Pentagon. All right, so let's see. So the Pentagon, I think there were two interesting articles that were somewhat related. You know, yesterday there was a Washington Post article that came out that said, 
the Pentagon had commissioned a study to see how much cost it could cut. And somebody came out, the study came out and said, hey, you could cost, you could cut $125 billion in costs over the next five years. And it doesn't even require you firing people or reducing military deployment or anything. All it was going to require you is uh, just kind of attrition when people leave their jobs, don't refill them, uh, curtailing contractors and using IT better. And the Pentagon was actually embarrassed by this study and wouldn't let it be released. And then kind of very related, I would think. This morning, Donald Trump tweeted that uh, the government should cancel the next Air Force One uh, by Boeing, claiming that they're spending over $4 billion on it. So I think these are related, uh, tremendous pieces of journalism in the Washington Post case, and I'll, I'll kind of turn it over to you. Well, first of all, it's not publicly traded anymore, so I can't do a darn thing about it, but I am very bullish on the Washington Post. They've been yeah. doing great journalism. They continue to. This was a good piece. I, I carefully read through the whole underlying uh, report. The first line is, we are spending a lot more money than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes on for 77 a detailed pages to uh, back that up. Um, you know, I think uh, in terms of government spending, a lot of the reporting is silly. When you're talking about a massive government and a yeah. massive economy, yeah. whenever people mention spending programs that are less than a billion dollars, it's not worth mentioning. Many are funny, but they're just funny distractions. You know, a lot of times on the internet you can find $175,000 to determine if cocaine makes Japanese quail engage in sexually risky behavior. <laughs> That misses the point. I mean, I'm sure the government did spend money on that. Yeah. But the government actually, if you could keep a senator busy by wasting $175,000 a day, that would be a wonderful savings to the taxpayer. <laughs> so I mean, they could all come up with things like this. But in this case, you know, we're talking about $125 billion. That's real money, yep. even by uh, government standards. Um, and uh, it's uh, it matters. Now, Pentagon spending. Accounting tools sometimes mistake uh, uh, oh, uh, for waste, things like the $1,000 hammer, where it's actually frequently just something's dropped in the last line in an appropriations, mm -hmm. and it's not really a $1,000 marginal cost. Also, there are some legitimate expense, legitimately expensive uh, features. You know, bulletproofing cars is expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, electromagnetic pulse uh, proofing planes is very expensive you know so it, you know if you're used to buying a secondhand uh plane like trump one and you look at air force one you think oh my gosh but it has a lot of things that the private sector is not uh used to um and i think in many cases you know we could we could and should spend a much much lower percentage of our gdp on government but it really does involve cutting lean and not just fat so some of these kind of kind of silly reports uh are uh, often uh, misleading. Uh, and well-intentioned reformers always want to make government look like business. This report you know, cites Pepsi, IBM, Hewlett-Packard, Lockheed Martin as, as businesses they could look more like. But, but, but government, government's different. Uh, it's hard to uh, uh, see sometimes. But you, know, you look at this, and this, this should have been something to get a lot of intention. Whether or not it was embarrassing for them that this was originally written, it's very embarrassing that they hit it. Yeah, so, so the Washington Post, I thought it was just a, such a great study and kind of the fiefdoms and bureaucracies that run, uh, that, that can take over governments as mm -hmm. they get sloppier, bigger, lazier. Uh, you, you know, there there's this great art line where they do all this work and they say, oh, oh my gosh, like we, we can cut $125 billion. And they go to the head of one of the departments that will be very affected by th these cuts. That's basically, it's a complete overhead department. And they say, 
hey, look, we found all these cost cuttings, but it's going to come heavily out of your department. And the guy is just furious. And he says, what are you talking about? Ask anyone in this department. We don't need less people. We need a thousand more people like right now. And it really shows like how the fiefdoms, the power of these bureaucracies uh, happen. And look, I in a former life, I was a consultant. And when you worked, it wasn't just... Uh, it wasn't just at governments. When you worked with big companies and sometimes you say, oh, your finance department has 10% more people than most other similar finance departments. And the finance department's always the first one to protest. We need more people, not less. You know, I think that this is an interesting case and an interesting issue with the uh, Republican victory in the election uh, because it really splits the Republican Party. Most military officers are personally Republicans. Many Republicans were staunch Cold Warriors. But as you move away from the Cold War and you see this military that has a very Cold War stance, you know, and one of the mental models I always use is if you undid it temporarily, Mm -hmm. is it something you'd redo? You know, if we pulled our military out of Western Germany, I don't think there'd be a single person in the United States of America that would put them back. Uh, A lot of our stance is specifically a a Cold War uh, stance. The size of the military is a Cold War size. It's bigger than the kind of second through uh, X uh, uh, military down the list. Uh, it's unclear why it needs to be that big, that expensive, uh, that Cold War oriented in 2016. Um, and it's something that I think is really going to get a lot of pushback within the kind of conservative side of the political spectrum. Yeah, And, and then let, let's turn to the Air Force One a little sure. bit. You know, I thought this was interesting because I actually could really see both sides here. Like, I, I think a lot of people came out and said, oh, the $4 billion. Some people said it was ridiculous. Uh, you know, a lot of people were saying, once you see, once he gets on Air Force One and sees all the features it needs to be to be kind of like a command center in a nuclear war or something, you'll see yeah. why it's so expensive. But at the same time, there was an article that was kind of slipped in there where Boeing, there was a line that kind of slipped in there where Boeing said, look, we haven't gotten $4 billion. It's just been $170 million in research costs over the past couple of years. And I mean, $170 million in research, in research costs to get this thing off the ground. That's a lot of money in research costs for, I, I, I don't know. It just it seems uh, you could buy what? Six Boeing uh, 787s for that cost. It's a bad sign yeah. when a guy with gold-plated toilets thinks you're wasting money. <laughs> uh, you know, I think on, on one hand, um, I mean, the serious issue is the EMP uh, proofing. Of, if somebody hasn't studied that electromagnetic pulse, I mean, it's really one of the uh, uh, clearest uh, kind of present dangers from political adversaries, mm-hmm. both China and Russia. If you look at their kind of war-making plans versus the U.S., I mean, the first thing is a nuclear explosion in the upper atmosphere that wipes out basically all kind of electronics from the past few decades yep. and then all of a sudden they have to defeat a uh, 18th century United States of America we are woefully unprepared for this uh, including a lot of the infrastructure you'd think we would have thought through ahead of time we haven't uh, so the idea that we think through that with Air Force One that's something that I think this taxpayer would uh, be happy to spend a little bit of money on um, but uh, it's still it's a big expense the research is a big expense and I would say um for anybody concerned about government spending, what's interesting for me on this is that especially government contractors, but large American businesses like Boeing really do not create this clarion difference between public sector bad, private sector good. They have a lot of the same government-like characteristics of laziness, bloat, mm-hmm. sloth uh, that people accuse rightly the government of. I, I believe it was uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin who, I can't remember if it was in one of the Elon Musk books or if it was just an article he wrote on Elon Musk, but he was saying like, you know, one of the big differences between Elon Musk's 
SpaceX and the I think it's the Boeing Lockheed partnership to launch rockets is Elon Musk. He looks to insource everything and make mm-hmm. all parts himself, and he considers it, considers it completely a for-profit enterprise in the long run, whereas the Boeing-Lockheed partnership, they really consider a lot of that rocket partnership a job creation mm-hmm. factory. And they, they look to outsource a lot of parts, and they really judge their—they don't judge necessarily on the bottom line. They judge that JV on creating jobs, political goodwill, all those sort of stuff kind of factors into their decision-making. And, and, and Boeing, more than anybody, is kind of an American champion, largely versus Airbus. When you look at Airbus uh, manufacturing within Europe, uh, one of the things they really pride themselves on is the distance between uh, parts for their plane. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean they make them as far apart within Europe as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a huge problem if they make things close by because you can just put tops on bottoms. And they yeah. want positively to create uh, employment. Uh, and so a lot of this is make work. I think uh, Boeing uh, suffers from some of the same thing. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. And it was also interesting in the article, one of the first lines it says is like, when the government put out the bid for the new Air Force One in 2013 or 2014, whenever it was, Boeing was the only one who the, the only one who applied because Boeing was the only one with the resources to apply. Who was an American company? So mm-hmm. all interesting stuff. Uh, Ten seconds if you want to wrap it up. Uh, you know, I think that it is a real issue with the imperial presidency. You know, if you look at the <laughs> actual uh, British monarchy, they fly pretty Spartan compared to our leaders. Uh, and uh, I think if it's uh, not too good for them. Um, it's not too good. For, if they're not too good for it, then we're not. And that we could uh, get this uh, flight of our president down to much more modest levels. Perfect. All right. So that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, the best way to get more of them is to recommend us to a friend and get them to start listening. Uh, Chris, disclosures, none for me. I think you mentioned you might have a, a little of the long, short Under Armour trade on. Anything yes. else? Okay, perfect. Uh, we will talk to you guys later this week.